0: Hi, this is Rafif Ziada, and you're listening to 3CR, pro-Palestinian, happily proud radio.
1: 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation's true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past, and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty.
2: This is 3CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis Wrap and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to late 30am.
1: Early double. your
3: Good morning and welcome to 855am Radical Radio here at 3CR. You're here as you are every week on Monday Breakfast with me, James and Grace. Let's start off with you, Grace. How was your weekend? It
1: was good. It was good. I think I've been doing quite well with managing my time and chilling. That's because that's the first week of me.
3: Sorry, Grace, we're having a little trouble with your microphone there. We'll come back to you. Uh, How about you, Rob? (laughs) Um,
4: Good morning. My weekend was very good. Very good indeed. Um... I had a little staycation on Friday afternoon. Um, which was really nice, and then actually had like a really nice dinner and um yeah, saw my family on Sunday. Just yeah. obviously beautiful weather on the weekend as well, which is really good.
3: What did you get up to, James? Well, I had a busy weekend. I went to a gig. Um I went to another gig. So two gigs in one weekend, which oh was God. pretty uh Yeah. I'm feeling pretty tired now to be all <laughs> honest, you know, not the greatest start of yeah. my week, but you know, you you do what you can. Good um, you see. I saw a band called Virgin Mary Disco, which is a friend's band that was very good. Mm. Very good. Um they brought the energy. Um a lot of existential dread in their music, which I mm. like. I like having a good time to not good themes. Yep. Yep. And it's weirdly,
4: like, it's it's weirdly sometimes really cathartic. Cathartic is the to word. To listen to that kind cathartic of music. Cathartic really hey. is
3: the word. Um, so that was my weekend. Not as rested as I would like to have been, but, yep. you know, that's mm. sometimes you take that. So, Grace, we're going to go take two. How was your weekend? <laughs> yes, I
1: think our listeners can hear me now. I'm go. still here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty chill week. I was just working and having the time of my life, trying my best to make still be productive, but I was having the time enjoying. Now that I've finished uni, basically. Yeah, mm. fun employment. Yes, but yeah, that's not that's not going well so at the moment. But
3: it's Uh-oh. I think it's hopefully it gets better. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hopefully it does. Uh, We've got a pretty blockbuster show for you this week on Monday Breakfast. We've got four interviews lined up, I believe. Maybe a fifth, but we'll see how we go. Um, We all good to go with headlines, Grace? Yes. Take it away.
1: So to start off, yesterday, Hamas has said to suspend hostage negotiations due to Israel's handling of the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza, according to a Palestinian official. The Doctors Without Borders and NGO to provide humanitarian medical care said that they are unable to contact the staff or inside the Al Shifa Hospital since last night and other colleagues working around Gaza City reported that hostilities around there have not stopped. The Al Shifa Hospital shelters thousands of Palestinians as it is uh, Gaza's largest medical center. However, due to Israel's handling with bombing the hospital, and surrounding around the nearby areas, it has forced Palestinians to evacuate for the south, while many more are trapped inside. This next headline may be distressing for our First Nations listeners, as it contains mentions of death of the First Nations people. So First Nations remains have been discovered at the site of a $3 billion Adelaide housing development. So back in 1839, an expedition by explorer Captain Charles Sturt in South Australia already came across a native burring place as they were navigating the Gala River, which is north of Adelaide, according to his research during the expedition. As he quoted, there was a circular mound of earth surrounded by fine tall gum trees notched in various places. So now almost 200 years later, 27 corner ancestral remains have been found near the Gala River when the work's begun of the housing development. Wow. Now I'm going all the way to a country town of Romsey, which is 55 kilometres northwest of Melbourne. The local community are gearing up a fight against the Romsey football's netball club in their bid to redevelop and reopen the shuttered Romsey Hotel, which holds 50 pokey machines. So Kierkegaard, who have been leading a community push against Pokies at the same pub 15 years ago said it's a case repeating itself because, according to Kierkegaard, there are 50 there are five hotels which are 20 minutes from town and they've been successful despite having no Pokie machines. Now this hotel is owned by publican Jim Hogan, where it's been clo- where this hotel actually has been closed since 2017. In 2005 Hogan actually tried to install 30 Pokies at his pub which triggered to a foil battle with foil legal battle with the local community of the Macedon Rangers council.
3: Nice. Nicely done. Nicely done. Now before we jump into some interviews we're going to jump into a song. This is The More Things Change by The Legendary Kucha Edwards.
1: That was The morning Change by Kucha Edwards. You're listening to 3CR 8 by 5 PM. Now I'm going to be speaking to Prof. Catherine Crock am where we're going to be discussing about the World Kindness Day, which is today, with XPEXEN to the healthcare system in Australia. Good morning, Katrin.
5: Good morning, Grace.
1: Good morning. So Catherine, before we get into talking about the events going to be happening throughout the week, can you first tell us what is World Kindness Day?
5: Look, world kindness is something that is um, celebrated now around the world. But to me, it's not just for one day. In fact, it's a reminder that we should be thinking about kindness every day of the year.
1: Mm, lovely. And obviously, kindness is a beautiful thing that we all, I think everyone should have. There are events coming up in relation for this day called Gathering of Kindness. So what what is it going to be about?
5: Look, Grace, I work in healthcare. I'm a doctor at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. And through my work, I've really started to notice the importance of kindness in making care for patients safe and for making the workplace for people who are um, working in healthcare Mm. something that is joyful and not so difficult that, you know, people are leaving. Mm. So we're running this gathering of kindness which is bringing people together from all different walks of life so Mm. not only in healthcare but we need creative people and um, just people in society helping us to build a kind health system so one that will be kind for everybody working in it and people receiving care when they're a patient.
1: Mm, I see and in so you've been a doctor for a long time now. What what is a it, long time? Yes. <laughs> what is it like working in in the hospital?
5: Um, look, it it can be quite difficult. Mm. I mean, I absolutely love my work, but sometimes it's your interactions with your colleagues which can actually make the work more difficult. And I think that is because of stress and people feeling anxious in their workplace. So one of the things that we're going to talk about during this Gathering of Kindness Week uh, with some online events is Mm. how to feel safe in your workplace.
6: Mm. So
5: what does psychological safety look like and how can we get better at that in our teams, say, in hospitals? Because around the world, people are concerned about um, rudeness in health workplaces, people feeling bullied and not safe and what that does to making their work much more difficult.
1: Mm. So it, why, why, why is it that we want to have specific kindness in this healthcare system to prevent this kind of situations?
5: So kindness is really the antidote, Grace, mm. to some of the bad behaviour. And what we see when we start to talk about kindness, such a simple thing, people get on board, they start to get enthusiastic they realise that kindness is, in fact, contagious. Mm -hmm. So if you're kind to the people around you, actually they start to feel better and they start to act with kindness to other people and it goes out like a ripple effect. And then what you see is teams able to function at their absolute best because everybody's feeling the kindness, the respect, that if they were worried about something, they could speak up. And um, it goes from there and it just makes the care so much better for everyone.
1: Oh, that's lovely. And Catherine, you've built what's called a Hush Foundation, which is to bring musicians and composers into hospital places. uh, And this helps to, uh, I guess, reduce stress and anxiety in hospitals and also help people feel better. Could you explain a bit about what, what was that about?
5: Yes, look, Grace, so out of my work um, with children who have cancer, I was talking to the parents and saying, how could we make your healthcare experience uh, better and easier? And it was parents who said, look, we have music in our everyday life, but when you come into a hospital, that's not really very obvious. How about if we could bring some more music? So it's now 23 years ago I started to bring composers into the hospital. And when you bring somebody creative into a hospital space, they see it so differently. And the composers would say, look, this is a very noisy environment. We'll have to have the right sort of music to just sit there and help people to feel more calm and relaxed and not raise people's anxiety. Um, And it's been an absolutely beautiful thing. The Hush Foundation has worked with over 100 Australian composers who've composed music for hospitals, for aged care, for palliative care. And guess what? The public love it as well because it's extraordinary new Australian music.
1: Mm, I see. And is there a reason why it it? specifically more towards music and not like, because what I said, kids will also love games and everything. So is that a reason why we, you chose to go f- with arts, like performances, music?
5: I think, yeah, um, kids really respond to that. And mm-hmm. actually, so do the parents and so do the healthcare staff. To have beautiful music in that environment um, really calms everybody. And mm-hmm. yes, kids love to play. Mm-hmm. Um so, in fact, to adults, and I mean, seeing the children joyful with a music therapist in the waiting room lifts everybody's spirits, and you'll find that the whole healthcare team is working beautifully together.
1: I see. And so, with the performance and the arts as well, they cover a whole range of music, uh, in, or is it just Australian music, as you mentioned?
5: Um Look, we are using Australian music, so we've got such an incredible um, choice of Australian composers. We're so lucky here. And all these composers have put a lot of effort into thinking about what what their music is going to do in healthcare spaces. And for them, in fact, composers will say it's been life-changing for them to come into a hospital space and then reflect on what type of music they're going to need to compose to really make a difference. It's a different experience for them to composing for a, a recording studio or for a concert hall, um, to really be thinking about the people who might be going through tough times and that's what you're recording, you're making your music for.
1: Mm, that's very interesting. Mm. And... So, so, oh, sorry. Yep. And so, Catherine, uh, because unfortunately we're also going to be running out of time soon, I just wanted to really know, uh, in regards to this Gathering of gathering of Kindness events happening, is there anything that listeners should prepare as they can go online for this?
5: No, they can just go online to gatheringofkindness.org and we've got something happening each day during the week. Mm-hmm. They're at different times to suit people's you know, work times. But once you sign up, you could listen to them later anyway. We've got a fabulous Indigenous yarn up. So we spent an hour with some Indigenous leaders about kindness in um, a cultural context and how our Aboriginal perspectives can bring healing, safety, well-being. Um, so I think people will find it really fascinating.
1: Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Professor Catherine Krog-AM, who has been doing clinical work as a doctor at the Royal Children's Children's Hospital Melbourne since 1994, looking after children with cancer and other serious illness. The Gathering of Kindness 2023 is being held in two parts this year. There was already one in person on 29th of October, but this week from 13th Until the 17th of November, this Friday, there'll be a week, it will be a week of online events in regards to gathering of kindness and just learning about how to be kind and helping to support. And yes, this will be held online. You're listening to 3CRA 55 E M.
4: Where does the profit your power company makes end up? If you join Co-Power, you get to decide where 100% of our revenue goes. So while we work to dismantle the whole broken energy market, our members are building the world they want to live in by supporting strike funds, renewables projects, anti-poverty initiatives, and much more. So change your power company and then start changing everything else. That's what Co-Power is all about.
2: Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036. A 3CR supporter.
5: What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza who have survived
0: ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them.
7: This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in, and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years, it has to stop.
0: You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active.
7: APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR
3: We know you love listening to 3CR but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends So show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps
7: Uncover the depths of human connection in power in the new opera by Evan Lawson and Nicole Butcher, The Sea. This visceral exploration of love, lust and the corrupting influence of power in relationships washes over you in this extraordinary collaboration between Forest Collective and BK Opera. The Sea plays from the 7th until the 10th of December at Abbotsford Convent. Tickets available from forestcollective.com.au Forest Collective is a 3CR supporter. Tickets are now on sale for the 2024 Marxism Conference, happening over the Easter weekend. The Marxism Conference is one of the biggest gatherings of revolutionaries, radicals and activists from around Australia and across the world. Three days of discussions, interviews and debates on key questions and themes for socialists, covering radical working class history, Marxist fundamentals, left debates and global struggles happening today. With our world entering a new era of accelerated climate crisis, economic chaos, and rising imperialist tensions, it's now more important than ever for socialists and anti-capitalists to get together to discuss and debate ideas for a world in crisis. Lock in your spot to Australia's biggest socialist conference, and grab your tickets now at marxismconference.org.
6: A 3CR supporter.
3: Welcome back to 855 AM 3CR Radical Radio. This is Monday Breakfast with James, Rob and Grace. And we're going to jump to a few more headlines now. Take it away, Rob. The Victorian government hopes
4: to double fines for animal activists trespassing in farms in a move critics are calling ag-gag by stealth. The legislation will mean the highest penalty for unlawful entry onto agricultural property will increase from $11,538.60 to $23,000 for individuals and from $57,000 to $115,000 for organisations. This is despite the Victorian government claiming that they'd created the toughest punishments for animal activists in the country 18 months
1: ago. And... Victor- victims of a horror car-, car crash in Victoria's northeast are believed to be a group of four workmates. The crash happened in Mansfield Woods Point Road in Prairies, near Mansfield, which is about 20- 220 kilometers northeast of Melbourne. Police believe the drivers of the Kia Carnival, who was believed to be travelling with colleagues from central Victoria, lost control and hit an embankment. Embark- the car then spunk back onto the road and hit heated- a hit a tree in the field, according to the police, and which caused the, ve- the vehicle to erupt in flames and causing all four occupants to be killed at the scene.
4: Today, Virgin Cabin Crew members of the Transport Workers' Union will apply for a protected action ballot to the Fair Work Commission, which means that they can then vote to strike. Grievances of pov- poverty pay, job insecurity and unsafe conditions are what sparked the potential strike action. Trans, uh, Transport Workers Union National Secretary Michael Kane said virgin workers above and below the wing have remained loyal, worked hard to rebuild the airline, and seen it back into profit, but private equity owners, equity capital, have not held up their end of the bargain to correct rock-bottom pay, improve work-life balance, and fix unsafe rostering. Well, well said. Good interview, Grace. Oh yeah, really good interview
1: about the World Kindness Day. Yes, so today yeah. is World Kindness Day, but obviously I think every day we should be celebrating it. So James and Rob, what is kindness to you? What does what does it define?
3: That's a good question.
4: <laughs> it's a very good question. I think it's just so obvious. There needs yeah. to be more kindness throughout the world, and I
3: feel like I
1: feel like kindness has a degree to it because some people mm. might think that they're being nice, but it's not as to the definition of some other people mm, you know yeah. you could bring a cup of coffee to them and yeah that's just the limit to what kindness yeah, means yeah. but then you know helping someone in need or not helping someone in need that's not as it yeah. depends on the situation as well yeah. but is not helping someone consider not kind but if like you don't like that person you know mm, so yeah i guess it, yeah. there's a de- different definitions to i what think
4: people really um People really get, like, stuck in thinking, like, if if you can show kindness, that means you're necessarily, like, weak or, like, we'll just let people kind of, you know, like, yeah go past your boundaries and stuff like that. Like, just because you're kind doesn't mean you shouldn't have boundaries and mm. stick up for yourself and yeah. stand up for things in the world, you know?
6: Mm.
1: Yeah. I, it's just, like... There, I think we we'll, I personally, for me, I think I will have a limit to how much kindness I show someone, mm. depending on uh, who they are, just because I don't want to be taken advantage of. And yep. kindness is good, but pe- <sighs> people underestimate you and overstep your boundaries. So, mm. I guess we can be careful and all. Mm. So, yeah. I guess
3: yeah. there's, a, there's a healthy kind of kindness. You can, yeah. you can be kind in an unhealthy way to yourself mm. and to others. Mm. And okay. I guess you can be kind in a way that's healthy for everybody. Yep. Yeah. What that yeah. is, I probably couldn't tell you, but yep. it would have something to do with respecting <laughs> your own boundaries and other people's boundaries, like you said, mm. Rob. Mm. And I think it's also connected to the idea of love. Kindness has something about acting in a loving way yeah. Yeah. to yourself and the world around you. When we talk about kindness, we often forget about being kind to ourselves. That's mm, true. Yeah. Which in this society is very much a thing that we all mm. deal with. We're very unkind to ourselves for mm. whatever reasons. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's often a point about the kindness that we forget. You have to be kind and loving to yourself mm-hmm. so that you can be kind and loving to others. It makes it more sustainable. Maybe mm. that's part of the healthy part. Yeah. yeah. I that's think a very good
1: point. Yeah, that's true. And kindness when it comes to the unhealthy part, it can be overbearing and obsessive in certain points for some mm, people. Mm. And sometimes it might make the other party feel very burdened that they have mm. to repay them for the amount of niceness that has been pursued to towards them. Mm, yep. So I get yeah, I think that's always there always needs to be a balance towards how nice you can be to someone because mm. while it might seem like you're doing very beautiful, nice things, sometimes it's just unnecessary. Mm. And yep. yeah, when you got to stop, you got to stop. So yeah. yeah,
4: It's important in healthcare as well. You know, be kind to healthcare workers. Pay them properly. Mm. I think it's a very important note to take.
1: Yeah. But um, then if you're also too nice, people might feel like, are you, are you pitying me? You know? Yeah. yeah they might feel yeah. pity. So that's a... Uh, that's a thing as well. So we got to just got to be careful.
3: Hmm. Well, well, with this in mind, I thought I'd pick a nice song that reflects this. Mm. This is uh, a good song, I think. Uh, it's called Treat People With Kindness by the one and only Harry Styles. How about that? Good song.
1: And that was a so perfect beautiful song by that was a perfect beautiful song by Harry Styles with in regards to treating people with kindness. Oh yeah, treat people with kindness. That's what exactly what it's called. So yeah, good song over there. So now I'm gonna be speaking to Erin Smith, who is the CEO of Dart Center Asia Pacific, in regards to today's trauma reporting managing trauma reporting exposure events happening later this afternoon. Good morning, Erin.
7: Good morning, Grace. How are you?
1: Good, good. How have you been?
7: Very well, thank you.
1: Perfect. So, Erin, before we talk about the event that's going to be happening, for listeners who don't really understand what trauma reporting is in the journalism context, could you explain what it is about?
7: Sure. So I think um, journalists are very similar to other frontline workers when it comes to being exposed to violence and tragedy and so when they are directly exposed to that, when they directly experience it themselves often from the scene, or when they bear witness to the suffering of others, they will potentially respond physiologically to that trauma exposure. And what we're learning now is that the work that journalists and media workers are doing often puts them at risk of repeated immersion to traumatic detail. So I'm thinking here of things like, you know, interviewing survivors of Mm. tragedy, listening to audio that's coming in, viewing graphic images. Just think of everything that we've seen as the public from the Ukraine crisis and now more recently from the Israel-Gaza conflict. Mm. There are people behind the scenes having to go through thousands of raw, unfiltered images to find just those one or two that are palatable for the public. And then there's all the online issues that we're dealing with in modern society, so moderating the online commentary and narratives that comes through as well. So in so many ways, our journalists and media workers, on a routine basis, are being exposed to trauma.
1: Mm, I see. And so, what is this expo- managing trauma exposure event that's happening later today that you're going to be just dis- held holding?
7: Yeah, so in collaboration with the Walkley Foundation, the DART Centre for Journalism and Trauma here in Asia-Pacific, I thought it was a really timely opportunity to just really highlight to journalists and media workers out there just how trauma actually impacts us as a physiological response and that if we don't do something to look after ourselves, that's when we put ourselves at increased risk of mental health injury down the track, and that's something we certainly want to avoid. And we know overall from the work that we've done through the DART Centre that journalists as a group are incredibly resilient. But we also know from research that when we are repeatedly exposed to trauma, that can slowly chip away at our resilience and and leave us a little bit more vulnerable to more serious consequences of being exposed to trauma.
1: Mm. But with managing the trauma, is it... Obviously the impacts of journalists aren't just in regards to the unfiltered the many unfiltered events and images that they see as they are reporting on the conflicts that are happening around the world. Is it also a lot of the impact coming from abuse or possibly from negative comments from other the listeners or other readers?
7: Absolutely, that's a big factor, Grace, and we've certainly seen that escalate throughout the COVID pandemic, for example, where a lot of our frustrations, I think, were really taken out on the media and we've certainly seen an increase, an escalation in online trauma or technology-facilitated trauma where there is horrendous trolling and harassment occurring uh, towards journalists right across the globe. But we have a particularly high prevalence of that here right across Asia Pacific. So while we are absolutely trying to encourage journalists and media workers to be mindful of the trauma exposure they have through their routine kind of work, uh, as you mentioned, the dealing with the graphic imagery and the interviewing survivors of particularly traumatic events, we also really want to encourage them to be mindful of the impact of being exposed to that kind of online bullying and trauma as well.
1: I see. And... I think I also just want to know a bit about because obviously uh, I actually just was doing a segment uh, this late just before you in regards to today being World Kindness Day because it's uh, November thirteenth, so there's talking about kindness, but obviously mm. kindness should be happening every single day. Do you do you think as uh, as a person who's part of the Dart Center as well, is c- kindness is kindness more important in especially in this kind of context at the moment? but then people also technically have to sometimes be very firm and maybe not put kindness in their context of when they are talking to someone in regards to giving comments.
7: Absolutely, Grace. And I think it's a, it's a lovely reminder today to practice kindness towards not only each other, but also ourselves. And that's a big key message that we promote through the Dark Centre for Journalism and Trauma is that it is just so important to be looking after ourselves during these particularly difficult times of open-ended ongoing trauma exposure that we're all experiencing. I mean, look, we haven't really had a break for a number of years. If we think back to the Black Summer bushfires and then we went into COVID and then the Ukraine crisis and then the referendum and now Israel-Gaza, it has just been a constant onslaught of really traumatic Content and it just really reminds us today how important practising kindness is and really focusing on self-kindness. And we really highlight three kinds of self-care and self-kindness that we need to be mindful of in these kind of traumatic uh, times, Grace, and that's our emotional well-being and kindness. So just how we talk to ourselves can make a really big difference. I know for myself sometimes when I'm struggling That inner narrative can turn to the negative and I really, you know, have a go at myself, you know. I could have done that better and I should have done this. But I actually had a great colleague once remind me, would you talk to a friend the way you're talking to yourself? And I think that's a really great reminder for all of us when we're sort of being a bit down on ourselves emotionally. The other kind of kindness is physically. What kind of physical kindness are we, you know, giving ourselves at the moment? Are we taking a break? from work are we taking a break from toxic situations wherever we can look maybe that's only five minutes away from the desk maybe that's the ability to get out for half an hour for a walk with our pets or our dogs maybe it's an opportunity to engage with our friends or our loved ones just to physically get out and and distract ourselves away from the trauma we might be exposed to and then finally it's spiritual kindness and I think that's really important given everything that's happening in the world today as well How can we be kind to ourselves spiritually and also to each other, being mindful that we will, as as a group, as a population, have differences in opinion, but there are ways we can talk to each other about that in a kinder way than perhaps we're witnessing, particularly online at the moment. So, yeah, I think it's a really important reminder today to just practice that kindness towards not only ourselves, but each other.
6: Mm.
1: But I think the problem, I guess, a lot of journalists at the moment, especially those who are working with media companies, sometimes because of many very timely events that are happening, you know, many news companies, they want to get the news out there. They want to be basically try to be the first people to report. So I guess journalists can't really take a break as well, not because they don't want to treat themselves with kindness, but I guess sometimes they're forced into situations where they also want to get news out there. So what would you say... and as advice for journalists if they are being held in situations where they can't treat their son for kindness, unfortunately.
7: Absolutely, and that's something that we hear quite frequently when we talk to journalists and and media workers, particularly when we're doing any kind of training and support with them, is that... You know, the feedback is, look, we are, we recognise that we need to be taking a break and how important self-care is, but we just don't have the time. And that is the vicious nature of the 24-hour news cycle and the mm. immense pressures and workloads that journalists find themselves under. But my response to that is, what is the cost of not finding that time for that break? It could only be five minutes out of every hour. But when we know that trauma, when we are exposed to trauma, we have a physiological response to that and we actually put our brains in this state of hyperarousal or this what we call the fight-flight um, response and really that is a, an automatic physiological reaction to we have that to any kind of event that we perceive as stressful or frightening and it triggers this acute stress response that actually does prepare the body to take fight or flight and these are really evolutionary adaptions to increase our chance of survival during threatening times. But what happens is if we don't then have the ability to take a break away from that trauma exposure, we don't give our mind-body balance time to recover and for our arousal levels to lower, then we're constantly living in this state of hypervigilance, of of fight or flight, and that's where it can become really toxic Mm -hmm. and that's where it can become really problematic. So I absolutely hear it when people tell me I just can't find the time for that break. Um, there's immense pressures at work. That's when I sort of say, but what is the cost of not finding that, that five minutes or that half an hour out of each day to even be, and I understand, like I've been speaking to people over the past couple of weeks, they mm. feel like they don't even have time to take a half hour lunch break, that they're working into all hours of the day or night. And that's just not sustainable. Mm.
1: That's true. Uh, well, Erin, unfortunately, we're going to be running out of time very soon. So just one last question for you. Is, uh, are there anything that journalists uh, and reporters basically can prepare uh, before going for this event later today?
7: Oh, no. Look, the event today is it's a one-hour webinar, Grace, and anyone can register freely to attend that. And it's really just an opportunity to highlight, again, what trauma does to us, how we react to it when we are exposed. And we'll definitely talk through some tips for coping, for dealing with stress, preventing burnout so there's nothing that they would need to do to prepare to come along if they have time today between one and two um they can uh, google the event um it's through the walkley foundation and the dart center asia pacific and the more the merrier we would love to have journalists and media workers come along i also believe there'll be slides available afterwards and a recording of the event for anyone who can't join us live
1: that's perfect. No worries, Erin. I'll also pop up the link on our show notes later so people can access it.
7: That's wonderful. Thanks for having me today, Grace.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Erin. And that was Dr. Erin Smith, the CEO of Dart Center Asia Pacific, speaking about the managing trauma exposure event in with the Walkley Foundation. For yep, it's a webinar basically for reporters who would like to go on there so that they can hopefully get some practical tips in how to manage trauma. So yeah, I guess in in radio at the moment, the three of us over here, obviously I, not necessarily we would talk about trauma mm. as much as compared to people who have been reporting on mm. very much more conflict and mm. if serious events. So how is it for you when you deal with trauma, James and Rob?
3: Yeah, <laughs> big question. <laughs> big question. Yeah, that's true. That's I true. think
4: I think in <laughs> in the context of as a journalist, <laughs> yeah, because I could talk for hours on this. Yeah, um, in the context of a journalist, I, that um, part about you know the twenty four seven news cycle and not being like feeling like you are able to take a break really hit home for me i've I've definitely felt like that in mm. situations not at 3cr but out elsewhere of course um and it is like really tough and it's really hard to kind of get out of that like it almost becomes like a cycle like you just get trapped mm. in it like just news is all you live and breathe but then sometimes you just have to forget that you're you know a person outside of just your reporting and yep. mm. all of that stuff and maybe sometimes just like scrolling through the news and doom scrolling and looking at all of, all of these horrible things the other day and reporting on them like is not the best thing for your house sometimes. No,
3: I th- it comes back to boundaries again, but this is a really hard place to put in boundaries, mm. I think, especially mm. when it's so in mm. your face all the time. Yeah, and you know we are addicted to our smartphones to a high mm. degree. So every time we log on, there's not a little button that says, "I don't want to see any news for an hour." Mm. You know that that doesn't exist. You yeah. know we're stuck, just like oh oh god, scroll past it. Yeah, oh there's yeah. another one, scroll past that quickly. Yeah, you know there's a there's a distinct lack of control there, which would help yeah. with the. Bombardment that you can get and getting caught up in it too as well. Yeah, mm. I think um, for mm.
1: for our listeners out there who don't really understand, uh, who don't really know the context of when it comes to being a journalist, a lot many people, many of journalists out there actually, there are a lot of things when it comes to social media and also in regards to news. You know, it's something journalists don't can't avoid just because mm. is is part of being. In in the blood of journalism, you know, mm. you want to you report what you see is fact, you what you know is factual, and if it is actually factual, you want to get the news out there. Mm. And sometimes it's not just about reporting basic stuff like oh, mm. there was a car crash or s- mm. someone died or something. You know, it's yeah. it's really about accountability and. If that is of public interest, most importantly. Mm. So yeah, mm. but at the same time, when it comes to many things happening out in the world right now, public interest results in a lot of sensitive issues that are occurring. So yeah, yep. it's it's a tough it's a yep. tough time for a lot of people and yep. journalists as well. Yes, yeah.
4: it is. Really good to have um, resources out there like the Dart Center for anybody listening who um, potentially works in the media and needs help with. Trauma and their reporting. The Dart Center is a great resource. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. And how, how
4: do you spell that, Rob? D A R T Dart. Dart. Yeah.
1: Yep. So they're basically like a global organization. So, but Dr. Aaron Smith is just only the CEO of the Dart Center Asia Pacific. They are an yep. affiliated, mm. uh, yep, group of the whole Dart Center in general. And yeah, we'll pop up the pop up the link for the registration in regards to the Expo Managing Trauma Exposure event happening mm-hmm. later this afternoon. And yep, yeah, we'll. Put the Zoom link there so you can join in and register.
3: Perfect. Now we're going to go to a song. This is Army of Me by Julia Jacklin and RVG. Welcome back to 855 AM through CR. This is Monday Breakfast and you are joined by James, Rob and Grace as always. Now we're going to go to an interview with Alicia Lyle, a campaigner with the Sydney Road Accessible Tram Stops Now campaign, who also has experience, lived experience of disability. Alicia, thank you for joining the program today.
0: Thank you very much, James, and, um, and thanks for accepting us.
3: No worries, no worries. So just to start off, how did you come to get involved in the Sydney Road Accessible Tram Stops Now campaign?
0: Because I'm on the upfield line. I mean, I live close by the upfield line, on the upfield line, and because I am also disabled, um, I'm 50% disabled legally, but I am an able disabled person. Mm. I've... I've got, I died three times in the back of the ambulance. I was expected not to recover. I'd lived the rest of my life in a vegetative state. I became a quadriplegic. I became a paraplegic, but now I am able to walk and and mm. talk, which I was not expected to do Wow yeah. but um yeah like i I have a lot of empathy with yeah with everyone <laughs> um and I think it's despicable what what the state government um are doing when they promised by late 2022 so that happens to be last year they promised that they would have accessibility all throughout victoria for disability mm-hmm. you know for wheelchair um disability and and also this affects people with prams and shopping trolleys and you know the elderly you know and walking you know they have difficulty um you know, walking because not too many pra- I mean, sorry, not too many buses take wheelchair access. Sure, there you know there are some, except you no, know, not every single bus. You know, except wheelchairs
6: mm.
0: or prams. Mm. Um, so you know, when they promised that they'd have, they would do. You know, the Sydney Road or Melville Road. You know, the Marybeck trams have. You know, the raised platforms for disability access for the tram route mm. that's only sensible. And I, yes, I have an acquired brain injury, but I, I feel like I've got more intelligence than these bureaucrats. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, like, so I think the sky rail is fantastic, except for the fact that only if the, the trammed disability, um, is in place. Mm.
6: You know
4: what I mean? Yeah. No, I totally agree.
0: And and it's also just a human rights issue.
4: Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So but, when um, when they were you know like talking about closing the Upfield line, Alicia, was there anything? Was there any sort of consultation <laughs> with maybe your campaign
0: about what would happen? It? No, no, whatsoever. Yeah. The Marybeck Council are good at that too. I had another issue, but anyway, that's another story.
6: Mm.
0: Um, But no, it's just suddenly we're doing this. And it's 18 months to 24, 18 to 24 months. So it possibly could be two years. But, you know, wheelchair, um, people living in a wheelchair have no access for transportation, mm-hmm. and I know that Christian Astorian, who who funded this um, senior road accessible tram stops now um, mm-hmm. campaign he needs a train for you know his parents or and his work and mm-hmm. you know like it, it's it's fine that the sky rail gives more access for people in and driving, and ro- sorry, in driving cars to mm. be quicker to get their work, mm. but then it's not allowing other people who only rely on the trains mm. to not be able to work or not be able to, you know, mm. um, socialise or not be able to, you know, have have therapy or fitness. Um, um, because you know, if I don't have a car, I have to use the the train to get to um to my um fitness and you need to keep your physicality going mm. for your well being and maintain yeah. your your you know psychological
6: mm.
0: um state because yeah. of, Sorry, James. It's goddamn difficult That's being okay. disabled. <laughs> I okay. mean, I know I sound that I'm okay, but like, yeah, life's really tough being mm. disabled, honey.
4: Mm. Yeah. And Alicia, I actually did an, an interview about this a few months ago, and um, the people then were talking about how um, disabled people and other people who, are, who can't access the trams on Sydney Road have been asking for trams to be made accessible for. For like decades, is that right
0: yes 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 and and that the the state government had promised, and I believe in people's words um that mm. the disability accessibility would be available by the end of two thousand twenty two which has mm. kind of passed,
4: yeah, so short of so short of like obviously like. The campaign exists to hold these people accountable, but outside of that, has there been any really real accountability for missing that deadline?
0: No, no. There's been absolutely no communication whatsoever from the state government, mm. or or um, the only local government representative that I know of. So I I can't I account for every single. Mm. But Sue Bolton has been incredibly marvellous in helping Kristen and this campaign.
4: Mm. And what about Tim Reid?
0: Oh, yeah, sorry, Tim Reid, of course. Sorry, darling. Um, Yeah, we're actually presenting... Tim Reid is accepting our um, petitions on Mm. this coming Wednesday on the Parliament steps at... At twelve thirty PM, if anyone, oh, like yes, I'd love everyone else Mm. to join us. Yep, please, if possible. Yep, I'm aware that it's a working day, but um, so yes, Tim Reed is certainly accountable and and Mm. accepting Mm. of this this dilemma.
4: (laughs) Just have um, one final question before we start to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to, can you just talk to me more about the petition itself and what's sort of next for the campaign?
0: What do you mean? The the, the,
4: the petition that you're presenting to Tim oh, Reed?
0: Yeah, oh, like any any Victorian could have um, signed it. Um, it finished on last Friday day, unfortunately. Yep. Um, what does so it, we can't do a, a blast, you know, a blast out now. Yeah, of um, course. And um, so I, I've given all mine out. Um, yeah, of course. So, so what does it?
4: What does it say? And like, uh, did it get a lot of signatures?
0: Well, I'm actually disappointed at the amount that mm. there was, but um, but I know that. Nearly everyone I asked signed it. There were some who didn't, which really confused me because, like, mm. to me, human rights, every single person should be, um, <clears throat> be, you know, infected and, you know, we should all care for each other. Mm. Um, mm. But it pretty much he said um, people with mobility issue, issues, um, parents and carers with children and prams, commuters with bicycles. Um, oh, that's another aspect I forgot mm. to mention before. You know, yeah. not too many buses take bikes. And mm. the elderly will all suffer the same results if there's no accessible public transport for the duration of the Skyrail build. Mm. Yeah. The Federal Disability Discrimination Act legislates fully accessible public transport by standards that came into effect in 2000. So, came into effect in 2002 wow. <laughs> these standards stipulate wow. that public transport in all states and territories are required to be fully accessible by the end of 2022 so they had 20 years
4: yeah.
6: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so what <laughs>
4: yeah and obviously um, obviously you're presenting uh the petition to tim reed on this wednesday the 15th of november at 12 30 on the steps of parliament house what uh, what happens then? Like what happens after the petition has been presented to Tim Reed?
0: Well, I don't work for the government, except I totally assume, you know, I expect that Tim Reed will get a motion passed, and and I hope that it will be passed through, so that there will be um, disability accessibility on mm. the tram routes, mm. all within Meribek. Um yep. oh no, sorry, all within Australia. Oh, no, yeah, mm. all within Australia but definitely all in Victoria because you know, like people with disability could be driven to another place and mm. um and then they you know, if there's a tram they still need accessibility for the tram routes, um mm. yeah, and so it should be all throughout the world really. Yep. Um yeah. But, um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm just hoping to God that it will be a quick motion and yep. things will progress. And so, you know, like it will be 2024 when we'll see some roadworks on Senior Road and Melville Road mm. and um, and Nicholson Street. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I can't remember all the yeah. tram routes in. Yeah um this council. That's
4: a good well that's I'm <laughs> not sure we have time for it anyway.
0: Yeah. So um, I hope that we get tram accessibility for the disabled and um mobility issues mm. done before SkyRail takes place. Yep. Which is Absolutely. you know, like I thought was is for next year or the year after. <laughs> yep. So they haven't got much time, honey. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah they better get going.
0: Mm, Thank you very, very much, Jane, for accepting
4: us. Thank you. That was Alicia Liley, a person with lived experience of disability from the Sydney Road Accessible Tram Stops Now campaign. And like we said on Wednesday, they will be presenting their petition to Tim Reed MP on the steps of the Parliament House at 12.30. If you'd like to be there and join them, please do so.
6: Rising Tide invites you to join the people's blockade of the world's largest coal port from November 24 to 27 at Mullabimba,
8: Newcastle. One per cent of global emissions are from coal shipped through
2: the port. We are in a climate crisis, it can't continue. Thousands of people will gather to demand no new coal and an end to coal exports by 2030 and alternative secure jobs for coal workers.
8: Get on the water or chill out on the beach with live music and more.
3: Register your interest at risingtide.org.au forward slash blockade and we'll get in touch with you.
2: Rising Tide is a 3CR supporter. Change has,
6: Change has to come. Change has to come. Change has to
4: come. Welcome back to Monday Breakfast and 3CR 855 AM. Now we are going to move the to play the final two parts of my exclusive interview with Louise uh, from last week, who, uh, if you don't remember, she is a forgotten Australian and a survivor and victim of institutional abuse. Uh, And we're just talking about her experiences being forcibly evicted from her public housing house of 30 years. Here we go. What you're about to hear is audio from the night multiple police officers and at least one armed security guard broke into Louise's home to forcibly evict her, followed by a constructed trespass charge to cover up a malfeasant sale. This audio may be distressing to some listeners and will be repeated throughout the interview with prior warning, so you can skip ahead if you need to. Louise, can you just come out? Or
8: make it a lot easier. We're not going to stop. We're not allowed to stop. You're a trespasser on this private premises. We have our instructions. We have to continue until we have you out. i might make it lots of easier, Louise. Just come out.
9: The can and will be here all day. That's our job. We're we'll paid for it.
2: Thank you for welcoming me to 3CR to tell my story. I appreciate it very much.
4: It's good to have you here. So can we talk more about the changes in administration that Sumi mentioned before?
2: Yes, I want to simply say for the listeners to add M-A-L before the word administration. And that will give everyone hearing my story an understanding of just how unfairly I've been treated.
4: And you mentioned before about the destruction of your garden and what it kind of means for the environment?
2: Mm, Yes, it was much more than just a garden. It was an established Habitat for wildlife. Hmm. I came to rest there and it allowed me to be true to who I am and relating to the land and growing trees and plants. Also expanded to both fauna and flora. It became um, habitat for wildlife. I had a pond that housed native frogs. Wow. And the community loved walking past my home in the summertime and hearing them croak. I had all sorts of birds that would come. Of course, the protected possums, they're now at risk. They walk along the um, fence line, the cyclone fence barricades that have been put up, um, no no longer having trees, leaves to eat. The person who drove the bulldozer that um, demolished the pond, sarcastically said, oh, we've left the gum trees, the two gum trees for the possums. But you see, possums are not koalas. Yes, they can eat certain gum tree new growth leaves, but they don't have um, the stomach of koalas that can digest the eucalyptus leaves. Yeah. So they literally have no trees that they were... um, surviving on. So wildlife was put at risk like I was um, when I was evicted onto the street. Mm. Um, they too were put at risk, yep. and they're meant to be protected. Well, they're not. Yep. They haven't been, and neither have I. If ever I had the experience of belonging to the land, like First Nations talk about, my cooperative home gave me that experience of belonging. Not ownership. We were stewards. We were um, called stewards. We were the guardians Mm. um, of our properties, of our homes. And they became homes. We were able to put down roots and live there. It was all about um, empowering us, giving us agency.
4: So, Louise, what do you think it means for tenants across, not just Victoria, but across the country that are being potentially forcibly evicted from their houses.
2: Mm. Well, that's brilliant, Rob, Um, because tenants have no power and this is um, the cart before the horse in a democracy by the people, of the people, for the people. Mm. A democracy is meant to um, have humanity first, not capitalism So we need to change passivity to action and that's um, what it means when you say the personal is political. And for, for Common Equity Housing Limited tenants, we were called renters, stewards, that empowered the word tenant so that we were not mere tenants, but tenants with agency as co landlords stewards, not in the sense of property ownership, but guardians over the properties that taxpayers gave to us as life gifts to the betterment of humanity. It stopped lordy, lordy behaviour by redressing the imbalance of power in the social relationship between landlord and tenants. I exclude all those landlords that are truly benevolent in not putting rents up nor fear into us so that when we ask for maintenance to be done, it doesn't put our tenancies at risk of a forced eviction. This is what a true, prosperous relationship would be. Empowering tenants to voice vote and decision-making participation is the solution, was the solution in Common Equity Housing Limited, in our socio-economic politics... It was the landscape of respect in regards to our basic need for shelter. The forceful eviction of Tanyana Pavlov, 76, led to her death. Her home was demolished Mm. and will be replaced with unaffordable beachside, private sector luxury apartments that account for 75% of the proposed homes at Barack Beacon Boulevard at Port Melbourne. My bayside was Thornbury, where I came home to rest, only to have 30 years of sustainable green canopy that sheltered wildlife as well as myself. We were not protected and all was destroyed in three days. A week if you include the vandalism to the property to make it inhabitable so that I could not squat there. My home was a water hole that connected me to the whole cooperative housing does mend the hole in the fabric of society but unless we stop the greedy greedy property developers we will undo all the good we have achieved as a society in the public interest I am calling the corporate buggers out
4: That's really powerful Louise really powerful and well said Is there anything you want to say to the Victorian government and Common Equity Housing Limited you know, as a whole?
2: Well, I definitely would like to say something to the new Premier, um, Jacinta Allen. Public housing is meant to be a lifeboat, not the Titanic. Fix Mm. the rivet, refurbish, reinvest, rebuild, repair, stop. Change your decision to destroy the 44 towers of public Mm. housing. They are our homes the name of the Department of Family, Fairness, and Homes is very mm. unsettling, as our homes are uprooted. Mm. I can remember, you know, when it had two H's, Health and Human Services, yeah. and then it only had one H. While well, I date back to when it was called the Social Welfare Department, wow. and I'm sure that's that's where the word social has been uh, pounced on in terms of describing um, social housing as the new narrative. Mm. Well, if it's going to work, then it has to enforce regulations so that corporate underbelly no longer exists. Yep. And it has society and the public's best interest in action
4: Mm. wonderful thank you so much
2: thank you Rob and thank you 3CR
4: okay Louise is there Mm. anything else you'd like to say Mm. before we wrap up
2: in closing in honour of my mother and my brother Gabriel she was a victim of the department when it was called the social welfare department and as a forgotten Australian this is why I make it extra clear that I am suffering intergenerational trauma and violence, because my mother said to me when I was a child, Louise, all I wanted to give you was a home. Hmm. Well, she was denied that opportunity, but I claimed it in cooperative housing and for Common Equity Housing Limited to take that away from me is why they are culpable for inflicting intergenerational trauma and violence upon me as a forgotten Australian.
4: Okay, well just finally I I just want to talk about how we as the listeners of Radical Radio on 3CR and as a society in general can push back against injustices like like what's happening to you and, you know, in general that could happen to the tenants all over the country.
2: It is a time for um, the collective voice.
4: Um, You also mentioned that there's a petition Mm -hmm. as well that people can sign to help your case. Mm.
2: Yes, let's enliven it. Yep. Let's, Let's make it very clear to the new Premier, Jacinta Allen. It's incumbent on her and the new Housing Minister, the two of you I need to make this right.
4: And don't forget, listeners, that there is a petition for Louise's situation, which will be included in the show notes. What you're about... What you're about to hear is audio from the night multiple police officers and at least one armed security guard broke into Louise's home to forcibly evict her, followed by a constructed trespass charge to cover up a malfeasant sale. This audio may be distressing to some listeners and will be repeated throughout the interview with prior warning, so you can skip ahead if you need to. Louise, can you just come out or
8: make it a lot easier? I'm not going to stop. We're not allowed to stop. You're a trespasser on this private premises. We have our instructions. We have to continue until we have you out. I'll make it lots of easier, Louise. Just come out. The we can will be here all day. That's our job. We're we'll
9: paid for it.
4: Hello, everybody. We're back for the final part of the interview, talking about Louise's story. This time we're here with Louise again, and also J.R. Hewitt, the Media and Communications Officer of the Renters and Housing Union. Hi, everybody.
2: Hello. Good to be back. When serious injury occurred in 2008, as a consequence of Common Equity Housing Limited's decisions and actions... I had to draw the line and ever since then I've had to hold the line as to my societal safety and innocence and that is why housing justice needs to happen regards my cooperative home and I'm so Mm -hmm. relieved that JR is here to support me in holding the line Mm -hmm. because this housing crisis has to be nipped in the bud.
4: Yeah. Yeah, JR. do you want to speak a little bit more to the housing crisis and sort of the the myth, I don't know if you would call it a myth, that there are, you know, we just need to keep building more and more and more and more mm. houses yeah, to fix this housing problem?
8: I think that in general what you're saying is that the myth is that it's the Yimby myth, the yes in my backyard. Now yimby was created as an opposition to nimby not in my backyard and Mm. in that sense it is a noble goal uh unfortunately with uh, yimbyism that is the creation of property developers who just Mm -hmm. want to build and build and build and build but it doesn't fix the fundamental problem it is a part of the solution you know there says property hoarding but that's not entirely the problem uh yes there is a desire to just keep building out and out and out. The problem is when you build out and out and out is that it prices people who are relatively poor from the inner cities and drives them out to the outer cities, turning the inside uh, inner city into a, uh, rich, a wealth enclave, a rich person's playground, while the outer suburbs becomes a poverty enclave. Mm. Typically speaking, at least in my experience, uh, where there's no real infrastructure or resources, you get a road if you're lucky, um, but the real issue is you don't get the trains, you don't get the trams, because that's gentrification and that rises property values, and mm-hmm. then the problem starts all over again. Um, the problem is the distribution of housing. In the 80s and 90s, we decided that housing should be a commodity to profit from, not you know to speculate and invest in, not, not a home, not a shelter, not a human right. Public housing was rejected and demolished. It's still being demolished. Uh, the state of Victoria has the lowest amount of public housing, at 1.9%, and the Andrews-now-Allen government wants to uh, destroy an extra 10% of that uh, by getting rid of the 44 Towers. Policies of the Hawke, Keating and Howard administrations caused the prices of housing to skyrocket, the cost of rent to skyrocket. The government solution, or at least in Victoria, is that is we should go for greenfield development, which is pushing the outer suburbs further and further out mm-hmm. uh, into an area that currently does not have housing. Um, it is paddocks, effectively, and tall and sprawl. They want to build skyscrapers across train lines and then f- out from out of those train lines uh, to have single-family homes rather than from the inner city suburbs out to build mid-rise apartments mm. that are more on a... They're on a more human scale. Maybe mm. throw in some communal garden so that you don't feel like you're in a concrete jungle and make sure that at least 30% is public and cooperative housing. Like Louise was is in cooperative housing and everything she said about it is a delight. Mm. Because mid-rises, public and cooperative housings work against the market, Mm. Uh, to put downward pressure on the market mm-hmm. so that you can have cheaper homes to buy, cheaper homes to lease, while giving a home to those who genuinely need it mm. to, for life. Instead, we keep building more and further out into the green fields, which creates urban sprawl, which makes life in general worse. Mm. Uh, instead of dealing with the property hoarding or the land banking or the short-stay rentals or the tax, exe- tax incentives, etc., also a handful of property developers can make a profit from your poverty this has financialized housing It's no longer about making a profit it's about maximizing a profit public and cooperative housing works against the maximization of profit so they systematically get destroyed the issue with financialization which occurs over and over again is that eventually the dogmatic and myopic search for profit keeps chipping away the structural integrity of an industry until it can no longer function. Hmm. The financialization of housing maximizes profits until no one can afford to live in a rental or buy a property. We keep destroying the public housing, so when you have destroyed people's ability to buy a home or to buy a rental, you have no alternative. Hmm. That creates an epidemic of homelessness. And quite frankly, that leaves people with only four options, including homelessness. And the other three are prison, suicide, and radicalization to force that change so they can have somewhere to live, so that they can have a family, so that they have a reason to exist. Beautiful. Well said, JR. Thank
4: Mm. you so much, Louise Mm. and JR. Mm. Thank you. We definitely do need a collective voice for housing justice. And don't forget, listeners, that there is a petition for Louise's situation, which will be included in the show notes. Welcome back to Monday Breakfast on 3CR. That was the third and fourth final parts of my interview with Louise, a forgotten Australian and victim and survivor of institutional abuse. In that second part, uh, Jr. the Jr. Hewitt, the media and comms. Officer of the Renting and Housing Union was also there speaking towards the end. Great work, Rob. That was awesome work. Thank you. Award-winning stuff. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Good stuff. Thank you. So, what are you looking for for a week ahead,
3: James and Rob? Uh, You go first, Rob.
1: Um, What am
4: I looking forward to? Um, I don't know. It's been a pretty big weekend, so... Mm. Um, feel like I'm in the same bed as you James I'm just looking forward to some rest
3: Some rest, some yep. sleep, some lying down <laughs> oh, You both yeah. look very tight
4: yeah, You, we're you all need a rest yeah. um,
1: Been doing a lot so yeah yeah. Um, for me I'm just gonna hang out with my friends And at the same time look for jobs that is, So yeah I'll just be doing whatever I can mm. Kind of want to just enjoy as well Because I haven't got to really relax and Enjoy Melbourne for a while, so I'll see how it goes. Mm. I'm gonna read the book you mentioned, Rob, the one you've talked about. Every man in this village
6: is a liar. <laughs> Every man in is a liar. Sounds
3: like book. a good book. What's that book about?
4: Um, I actually read it. <laughs> I actually read it in high school. It's about Megan Stack, who um, is a journalist, I believe, for the LA Times. Um, now I'm not sure what, who she was reporting for back then, but basically, she's in. She's holidaying in. Egypt or something, right as um, 9-11 um, oh, wow. happens. And then basically the book is about the five years she spends in the Middle East, like just reporting on the um, unfolding conflict. And, wow. and uh, it's also uh, very much about the effects of seeing all of those things on Megan Stack herself. And that's mm. that's why I recommended it to Grace because we were talking about being a journalist and um, yeah. putting on trauma. Um, Interesting yeah. stuff.
3: I need to read more books as well. So mm. it's about time. Mm. It is about time. It's always time to read a book and there's never enough time to do it. Yeah. Which is always <laughs> the unfortunate thing. Mm. I think that's why people like holidays so much. It's just an excuse to read a book, mm. you know, lie on a cruise ship or something. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you've been listening to Monday Breakfast with Rob, James, and Grace. We're here every Monday on Mm 7am, and you can catch us anytime uh, on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and just go to Monday Breakfast, and I hope you have a lovely week out there. Great work today, team. We nailed it.
2: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast, produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.